The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. South Africa's private security industry has experienced an unprecedented growth rate. In fact, from the 90s through the 2000s, it's been a 30% growth rate decade upon decade. Citizens have spent more than 45 billion rand annually to safeguard their lives, assets, homes, and businesses. And this is a third more than government spends on the police. Our South African security industry is regarded per capita as the fifth largest in the world. Some estimates actually put it at the fourth largest. With the amount of money spent on security, it's become very lucrative for illegal operators to get involved in the industry. And this as a whole is detrimental to our safety and security. To help us make sense of this today, I'm joined by Tony Borses from the, the Security Association of South Africa and by a security company owner, Craig Sackey, who's going to act as a almost like a case study to explain to us the impact of the unregistered, unlegislated businesses and what impact they would have on a business such as his that is registered. Firstly, good morning, Tony. How are you doing today? Hi, Jody. I know. Great, thanks. Yourself? Great stuff. Uh, Craig, good afternoon to you as well. Good afternoon, Chad. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tony, I want to kick off with you. South African security, the industry as a whole, is it legislated and is it well legislated to try keep out illegal operators? It is totally uh, legislated. It is it is well legislated, uh, probably amongst the best in the world when it comes to legislation. Unfortunately, the policing of that legislation leaves a lot to be desired. So when we say legislated, security in South Africa have a regulatory authority. What is the role of that regulatory authority and how must a company be registered in order for them to offer such a service? First of all, Chad, the directors of the company must be registered and that registration includes a criminal check uh, and only then can the company be registered uh, and there's a, there is a whole infrastructural inspection process that's conducted by the regulator before such company is regulated uh, is registered. We're going to be chatting to um, Craig in a couple of minutes to find out the impact on a registered legitimate security business as a result of the actions of unregistered security businesses. But for the benefit of our listeners, Tony, can you please explain exactly what services constitute security services in South Africa? Well, it is any type of protection uh, of property or individuals or assets, um, be it static or um, in transit. Uh, as well as the uh, providing installation, monitoring, uh, and maintaining of electronic equipment, all fall all fall within the ambit of the of private security in the definition. Craig, a company like yours, how long have you been operating, and in what space within the security industry do you operate? So we've been operating on the guarding side from about 2017. So we're a relatively new player to the market. Uh, we do armed, unarmed guarding, uh, asset protection, bodyguarding, investigations. But the core of our business is um, 
obviously static guarding. And what was the process required for you to register the business and to become compliant? Look, it's a very uh, complicated process. Um, you've got to have your ducks in a row. Uh, once you have submitted all the documentation to the relevant authorities, they come do an inspection. Um, it's no joke. It's very, very difficult. Uh, nobody can just fl- – no fly by night should be able to or, sh- or could be able to just do it. Um, you know, you, you've got to have your ducks in a row. When we talk about fly by night, are we talking about organizations that are presenting themselves as being security companies but aren't necessarily compliant or are we talking about there being people out there that are just rogue operators? Look, I think it's both. Sierra come to your offices once you've submitted your application to uh, for registration. They come, they do an inspection. You need to have a registered premises. You've got to have uh, um, fax lines. You've got to have phone lines. You've got to have locked cabinets. So, you know, the, the, the regulations are, are very strict. Uh, when it comes to the fly-by-nights, what I mean is a lot of guys – Try and get away from that. They they try try and get away with um, not registering and uh, employing foreigners or uh, paying guards below the Syria mandated uh, payment structures, um, and that obviously hurts our business. Tony, when it comes to companies registering, have we found in the past that companies have in fact followed the protocols, but then somewhere along the line fallen off the wagon? in respect of remaining compliant? Uh, most definitely, uh, Chad. Uh, there's no way of checking a company's compliance and, and, and take, for example, remuneration and benefits for the employees until such time as they are actually operating and have uh, completed some level of or some period of service uh, that there's payroll records, staff records, uh, so, so quite often happens that a company is registered, obviously does not yet have employees because you can't employ until he's registered. And uh, once they are registered, they tend to, many companies tend to just ignore the, the minimum levels of remuneration, conditions of employment. They make use of what we call disguised employment relationships, uh, which takes them out of the, they think, takes them out of the scope of the bargaining council main agreement. And that is unfortunately a, a common thing. I've gone on the record uh, at conferences and media and stating that I believe that 80% of, of the guarding industry is in some way non-compliant. We're going to continue our conversation with Craig in a few minutes. We're going to discuss the impact that unregistered companies have had on the industry as a whole and specifically on operators such as himself. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're having a very important chat about the registration of security companies in South Africa and how important that is in the fight against crime. Now more than ever before, South Africa's private security industry needs the full backing of each and every citizen because crime is on a massive increase. But what do you do when those security companies themselves fall foul of the law? And if they're falling foul of the law, what, how much further can they go in respect of breaking rules and regulations? And can it, in fact, become criminal? Craig Sackey is going to help me make sense of what's happening to smaller security companies out there as a result 
of these other companies that are coming along and undermining them through cost-cutting. Craig, cost-cutting, every company seems to vie with each other with pricing. Why is it different in the security industry? Why can't one company come in at a lesser price than the other and and compete with them? So, Sierra have a mandated uh, structure of payments to your guards. So, we have to pay things like uh, COID, which is the uh, w- workman's compensation, Provident Fund, URF, <clears throat> guards premium payments, medical aid, um, bargaining council, uh, yearly mandated bonuses, which are non – you have to pay them. Uh, you don't have a choice. So when you add all of those costs up, at the end of the month or end of the year, um, you have to come to a figure, which Sherry have given us. And, I mean, there's a little bit of room to play with, but – Five or six thousand rand off that, it's just not sustainable. So what you're basically saying to us is that there is a fee that you need to charge in order just to break even. If a company's coming in lower than that, they wouldn't be compliant. Look, I think there's a, there's a, as I say, like maybe a thousand or two thousand rand, uh, there's, there's play there, but when you're talking five or six thousand rand off the amount that Sierra uh, release uh, every year, it's 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 impossible, especially when you're paying all of these things, um, including the Sierra um, so, uh, fees that we had to pay this year, which went up by 100%. Um, so it's just not sustainable. I mean, we're coming up against people that are quoting 6,000 Rand cheaper than us per guard, um, which is impossible. So, Tony, there's an old adage, you can't break the law to uphold the law. Security companies are regarded as force multipliers on the ground. They're not just there to protect business and, and, and residents' interests, but they're also there to assist the state law enforcement agencies. If these operators who are charging below what would be expected and are, are maybe or in all probability breaking the law, what stops them from hiring unregistered security officers, perhaps undocumented individuals, who themselves could perpetrate crime? Uh, for a security, or sorry, for a consumer of security services, either contract a an unregistered company or employ those guards directly as in-source or in-house guarding. If they're not registered, is a criminal offence. It's not just a, a contravention of the code of conduct of the regulator. It's a criminal offence which could lead to jail time for the consumer uh, and or the employer if they if they employ unregistered guards. So, you know, that, that is a given. That's a law. Uh, it's not just a code of conduct contravention. It is a criminal offence. So, Tony, it leads one to the obvious question. If companies... Are, are so desperate to undercut others to get the work and security officers know what they should be earning. It opens the door to hiring people who are unregistered security officers who haven't been vetted, who themselves may be criminal. There's an expression in Latin um, regarding singulum, who watches the watchers. So in this case, who's watching, who's giving oversight to ensure that the security companies who are coming into the market at a, at a price that does not make any sense are in fact hiring people who are competent and being paid correctly. There are two regulators for the industry, and that makes it difficult. 
One is Sira, the regulator um, who, re- who, is, who reports to the Minister of Police. They ensure that the company is registered and that they operate in terms of their code of conduct, which is online on their website, and it's quite extensive. The other regulator is the National Bargaining Council for the private security sector, and I'm rather than that mouthful, call it the council from now on. Um, the council and the parties to the council negotiate the minimum levels of remuneration, employment conditions, and conditions of employment. And they themselves have inspectors who are referred to as agents in terms of the Labor Relations Act and who have letters of appointment from the Minister of Labor We've got two different ministries. We've got police on the one side, labor on the other. And they have pretty wide powers in going to security companies and doing payroll audits. But the council agents will not check if the guards are registered. It's not part of their mandate. The regulator checks if the company is operating in terms of their mandate. In other words, if if all the guards are registered... If all of the guards that uh, are working, for example, with firearms are competent, all the guards working with dogs have got the the relevant training, uh, and that they are, in fact, who they say they are. Uh, The CIRA database is in excess of two million names, of which there are many duplicates, uh, where we know that there are only 540,000 more or less active security officers in the country. So two, three quarters of the registered guards are either no longer active in the country or no longer uh, alive or are using false documentation that they have not renewed their registrations. Uh, the new registration or renewal registration of CIRA demands that Fingerprint checks are confirmed by the by Department of Home Affairs, uh, and those fingerprints are checked by SAPS. And quite often, identity documents are borrowed, stolen, forged, as are CIRA documents, as are training documents, uh, and that leads to corruption. And there are employers that will obviously look for those corrupt security officers, uh, because being illegal, they will settle for a much lower salary than what the bargaining council has negotiated and has had gazetted. And that they do for one reason only. And it consists of five letters. It's greed. So, Tony, what we're going to do is we're going to come back to you just now and you're going to tell our listeners who are consumers of security services what they need to look out for and what they need to ask. Before we get to that question, however, I need to ask Craig a very important question, and that is, what is the impact on a company such as yourself when you have an illegal operator charging five to six thousand rand less than they should be, which means in essence they have to be operating illegally to be able to do so? Well, I can tell you right now we're going through that where we're possibly going to lose uh, around 25 guards because the uh, client doesn't want to pay. They're saying the costs are too high. So we're going through that at the moment where a lot of our uh, um, sites are going to go out to tender, and it's a price issue. The client doesn't care 
Um, they just, they're just looking for price. They don't care if the laws are being broken. They think they're not affected or they're not guilty or, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't impact them. It's a security company that they, they're paying and it relies on the security company when in fact it's not so. So, yeah, it's a tough one. We have to look at ways we can cut costs and it's, it's tough. Craig, can I ask you this? And, and it's, it's something that I was, I was thinking of when you were telling me that people are just looking at price. But at the end of the day, the consumer who's paying and looking at just price can land up with a massive problem. And that problem is that if they suffer a loss and a wise, and I say wise in inverted commas, let's say a person educated in the legislation of, of, of the, the, the security regulation in South Africa is appointed to investigate a loss. Say, for example, it's an insurance investigator or a loss adjuster, and they find that the security company that was on site was not correctly registered. Surely that consumer, that person who was so price conscious at the end of the day, would lose the claim that they've had because they were using an unregistered, unregulated security company. I agree with you 100%, but I think what the guys are doing is it's not necessarily a non-registered company. These guys run double books. So what they'll do is they'll have half their staff that are registered, pay all the stuff, uh, and then they'll have another half that are, you know, unregistered or, or not paying all the provident funds and the medical aids and, and all of these things that we have to pay. So I think that's how the guys are doing it. And it, it's not always the, it's the big guys as well as the small guys that are doing it. So, you know, I think that's where, where, where it happens. So if an insurance adjuster had to come and investigate, the company would be registered. They could show all the right documentation, but half the staff are not. Tony, I ran a poll on um, LinkedIn a couple of months ago asking whether people knew that as a consumer, it was a criminal offense not to do a due diligence on a security company and it would be a criminal offense to appoint that security company. And most people came back to me and they thought I was absolutely crazy to say that the consumer has the responsibility to ensure that the security company that they are hiring is in fact registered or compliant. So I need to ask you this. Surely the regulator, the private security industry regulatory authority that we know as CIRA, surely they, they should be having a massive advertising campaign um, to show what is covered by security in South Africa and what the requirements are for that company to be registered and what can happen to a consumer who hires an unregistered company. CIRA, uh, uh, about two years ago, had issued a consumer obligation circular newsletter, which is on, on their website as well. And technically, the only responsibility he has is to make sure that that company is registered. Not that the guards are registered, that the company is registered in terms of the CIRA legislation. That's where the challenge comes in. Companies, so, uh, are, companies are registered, they are using, again, what we call disguised employment relationships, they, they are using independent what they call independent contractors or self-employed security officers. They are using or abusing the learnership legislation. They are using cooperatives. Uh, and, they, and, of course, they're using unregistered guards and they're using undocumented foreigners. There are companies that are going out and putting trainees who fall under the learnership legislation as fully-fledged guards out on site at half of the price that the 
legal and compliant companies. Now, I've had this discussion with Craig a number of times, and, and we've exchanged a lot of messages and emails and, and, and phone calls. Um, it, it is a massive task with over 10,000 security companies in the country that are registered, registered and active. Nobody knows how many unregistered companies there are. We find them uh, every week. I identify a couple more. It, it is... CIRA has less than 100 inspectors. The bargaining council has something like 15 inspectors at the moment, but they're still in their fledgling stage. total of just over 100 people cannot police uh, 10,000 companies. It's just physically impossible. So we need to try and find a solution to this. If CIRA has got something on their website in a circular, it's not going to be any consumer that's just going to access CIRA and go look for that circular because they don't know to look for that circular. They haven't been told that they have an obligation to make sure that the company is registered. Conversely, you and Craig have both told me that some companies may be registered, but they're writing double books, ghost employees that are not registered on the CIRA database or people that have fabricated registrations. There must be a third party that can come in somewhere and get this out to the public so the public start taking cognizance of the fact that there's certain rules and regulations that can impact on them. And more importantly, and I think this is a point we need to, to look at, the insurance aspect and the possibility of an insurance claim being rejected simply because the consumer didn't take the time and effort to ensure that a company was compliant. Now, with that being said, you spoke about the fact that on paper these companies may look legitimate and all the consumer can do is to check whether the company's registered. Craig, do you think perhaps companies need to be monitored by a third party to show that their governance is in place, they're compliant with all regulatory authorities, including SARS, including COIDA, including the Bargaining Council, and perhaps have a sign-off of a third party or even have an organization like Tony's advising the public on what's required. Yeah, I do agree. Look, either it would be Sarah or Sasa. I mean, Tony assists us uh, all the time. We, in, you know, we, we have conversations almost weekly um, about what's happening. Um, the problem is you don't really see companies being taken to task over these things. I don't know anybody that's been prosecuted or arrested uh, personally. Um, so they, they just, you know, they, they seem to get away with it. They either don't care or don't know, as you say. It's a massive concern. And I think the fact remains is that we have a situation where we've got people who are in a position of trust that are now involved in fraud and corruption. When we come back, I want to take up the way forward and how SASA can work together with other organizations to try to get the message out there. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Our conversation today is around the space of security and the fact that there are companies acting in a fraudulent and corrupt manner by undercutting other security companies to get sites. And it is not possible when one looks at the requirements and the compliance obligations of a company to be able to charge these amounts of money. The question is going forward, how do we educate the public and how do we get the message out there? We can have 
um, a, a show like we've had today, where we talk to people like Tony Buertas from the Security Association of South Africa or Craig Sackey, who is an independent security company owner, and they can tell us what's going on. But we've only got a certain reach. Tony, in a perfect world, how do we get the message out, and can your association help with that? Uh, not only can we, we definitely do. It is not an employer's organization, because that's what SASA actually is. We're an employer's organization. But it's not our responsibility to educate consumers. However, we've taken it upon ourselves to do that. We, I drafted a letter about five years ago and uh, updated and renew it annually, uh, which is a guideline for employers, uh, for consumers of security at least, uh, how to choose a compliant security service provider. And we set out on that a checklist, a detailed checklist of what documentation they should demand from any, from the existing service provider and from any prospective service provider in the tender process. There are a number of companies already say SASA has, SASA members have met that criteria. Otherwise, they wouldn't have got on to our membership list. Uh, we demand tons, 15 different documents that we demand from our members, our gold members, including uh, declarations that they do not make use of so-called disguised employment relationships, such as unregistered learners, such as independent contractors, self-employed security officers, cooperatives, etc., and even if the company is not a SASA member and if they can meet that requirement, then the client can be assured that the company is most probably compliant with everything else. Ben, uh, do you think it's, it's worth our while to perhaps approach the insurance regulators and the insurance associations and have them advise consumers both on a residential and on a commercial basis that claims will not be considered if the company that they're using doesn't doesn't tick the boxes in respect of security service providers. I think it's a great idea. Um, you know, just to to let you know, so we tendering on uh, some sites that we already do. We've been doing them for for a few years, but it's going out to tender now. And the property manager didn't even know. Um, about all these regulations, what documents were, would be needed for, for the tender. So it would help that insurance companies, I think that would be a, a great place to start um, because everybody needs insurance. And Tony, going forward with regards to educating the public, it's Sira's responsibility. Is the communication between Sira and the Employers Association such that if the Employers Association's suggest to Sira that they embark on a national advertising campaign to educate the consumer that this will, in fact, happen? It's a love-hated relationship um, between the employer organizations and the regulator. Uh, we are currently in conflict with them on their rates, their fee structure, as, as Craig mentioned a bit early on. We, we as an association have in the past tried to get hold of the insured, short-term insurance associations without much success. Uh, but I'll embark on, on that exercise again. Uh, it's something that I haven't done for about two years. What is important is that we must get it across to the consumer that if he cannot afford the cost of proper and effective security, has he considered 
the cost of poor and ineffective security. That makes perfect sense because if you're using ineffective security or security that hasn't been regulated correctly and they're not ticking the boxes in terms of being compliant, the chances are that we're going to be referring to inside jobs happening when there's an incident on site. Craig, what will happen to your business if you lose this, these tenders that you're currently busy with? Well, it's a massive hit. I mean, uh, it'll impact us hard. We, not only that, but we, we won't be able to employ the guards that are, you know, on those sites because they site specific contracts. We have to start retrenchment processes. It's terrible. And these guys have been with us a long time. You know, they're like, they're like family. Tony, do we have support from SARS? Because SARS would know exactly who's compliant and not if they start investigating correctly. Is there a channel through to SARS that can go and check? Because Sarah's got this, this burden, and I'm calling it a burden because they keep on telling us how few in, in, investigators they have, yet this is the single biggest employer in the private sector that doesn't just contribute towards the livelihoods of the security officers, but it contributes to our national fiscus. It's an industry that's worth over 45 billion rand. Could we get the involvement of SARS to go after unregulated or unregistered companies? In the last financial year, uh, last March to February, I, I submitted in excess of 1,700 complaints to regulatory bodies. SIRA, the Department of Labor, the Bargaining Council, SAPS where necessary, uh, and SARS where we had strong enough information that the company was deducting pays you earn, but when the employee was terminated, there was no pay, uh, not pay you earn, UIF at least, there was no UIF money for him. Uh, we cannot just send a list of 20 or 50 companies to, to the, to SARS to ask them to investigate. Um, they don't have, the, I don't think they have the capacity, but if we have some evidence, and that's what I, what I tell complainants, I get complaints from security companies, such as Craig's, I get complaints from security officers uh, complaining about being exploited. Now, security is like a three-legged pot. Uh, the first leg is the client. The client wants the best service at what he believes to be the best price. The second leg is the security service provider who will never willfully tender at a loss. The third leg is the security officer, and he is the poor guy that gets nailed every single time. And if a, an employee, a security officer, is exploited, either by being underpaid, by not receiving statutory benefits, or by working excessive hours without overtime, he's not going to, A, want to, or B, be able to perform his duties pro properly and in terms of, of his employment contract and his, his SLA that he's got with the company to meet the client's needs. So in the long term, the loser is the client. The consumer of security is getting a substandard service or, in fact, in many cases, no service because a security officer who's being paid half of the statutory rate, and, and although rates are – we've managed to triple the – Income, the, 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 the entry level rate uh, for security officers, remuneration salaries, uh, over the last eight or nine years, we are still not the best paying industry in the world, simply because of pushback from the clients. We've just had a 7.2% increase come, come through in March, 
And there are clients that are saying, and Craig is one of them that's experienced this, where the client says, don't come to me with the increase, come to me with the reduction, because I've got better quotes than what you were charging me last year. Uh, because enemy, unfortunately, is our consumer base. It is. Tony, I want to thank you for sharing your expertise today, and I also want to thank you for what Sasa does. Craig, in terms of your closing remarks, why must consumers make use of properly regulated and registered security companies? Look, I think uh, I agree 100% with what Tony says. Uh, the, the, the guards, in the end, paying 4,000 rand to a guard a month, I mean, what are you what are you planning to get for that kind of money? And that guard's not going to be doing his job properly. Um, and, you know, you need to abide by the, by the laws and the regulations. If we have to do it, then everybody has to do it. I just think it it's, should be uh, fair for everybody. I want to thank my guest today, Craig Sackey, who's an independent security company owner, as well as Tony Buertz from Sasa. And in closing, I want to remind our listeners that if you participate in an illicit act, whether knowingly or unknowingly, you are exploiting people who are being used and abused by companies that are not paying what's required, and you are adding to a problem that already exists in South Africa, and that's the contribution towards the disparity between the haves and the have-nots and this very, very growing poverty line. It's critical that if you want to protect yourselves, the interests of your family, and the interests of your business, that you employ companies that are properly registered, properly regulated, and and are compliant in all aspects. If you need information, visit the Security Association South Africa's website. They would detail what you require when hiring a company. To my two guests today, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Thanks, Tony. Keep well. Cheers. We'll be back next week. Cheers, Craig. We'll be back same time next week. We're going to be chatting to the Institute of Commercial Forensic Practitioners about the state of fraud examination in South Africa and the investigation of financial crimes. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas.